Well, as we uh, start this day, I want to ask you a question as we start our mindset, as we start to dig um, into our passage this morning uh, in Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with you, you can start to, to flip there. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. But I want to ask you, have you recently had a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day? How many of you have had a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day that you can remember Um, recently, right? We go through those. We have those uh, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Days where like one thing happens after the other, right? Have you been there? I want to tell you uh, this morning about um, uh, about the Lobdell's family uh, a couple days this last week, which has been very interesting days, right? Uh, so um, it started Wednesday. Wednesday, uh, I dug d- deep into sermon stuff. We're going to be talking today about the transfiguration of Christ. Uh, and so if that gives you a hint, like there's some deep stuff going on in this. And so I'm reading these commentaries and I'm doing that and things are going well. And I found a couple of ideas and, and it, was, it was good. And, and then I stop and I go to, to eat dinner with my family. I eat dinner, and then I, after dinner, Stephanie goes to the store with the kids, and, and I get my stuff ready, and, I'm, and I've got my stuff ready for youth group. And I, as, I'm, as I go downstairs, I, I have to grab a hat. And if any of you know me, um, outside of standing on the stage, you know that there's always a hat on my head. And so I had to grab my good hat for youth group, <laughs> right? And so I go downstairs, and I grab my, uh, to grab my good hat, and as I walk into our closet, I look over, and we have this big mirror in our closet, I look over and like half of my beard is missing, right? Half of it is gone, right? And I'm like, what is going on? Like I go to the mirror and you can still see splotches. I go to the mirror, what is happening? Like my beard, my beard is gone, right? And I go and and that makes it worse is that Stephanie ate dinner with me and she didn't even say anything. (laughs) Right, what a mean person. So... Like I go and I grab, I've got, just got Katie Trigg, it's the hairdresser here, just told me about this little uh, thing where I shave my face to make it look like this, but it's like high powered, like plugs in the wall, like you could go and weed eat the grass outside with this thing. And so I've got five minutes until I got to leave to go to youth group. And so five minutes, let's go. And so I start to just, you know, do everything and I'm good and I've got it. And then I go right here, right, to, to shave right here. And somehow I like, I thought I cut my jugular, right? Like, it's like, it's going everywhere and I'm bleeding and I got to go because I got to be at youth group and it's just awful. And I grab the toilet paper like old school and I'm running out the door and the bleeding stops by the time I got to the church. No worries, right? You can't even tell. And, and, and I get here and things are good. We have, we have youth group. I play a lot of dodgeball in the beginning. I, I preach and sweat like I'm doing now. I, and then I have a conversation. It went really well at the end of that and I go home. I do some stuff at home, I, I get in bed, and everything's great, right? The end of the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I thought, or little events. That didn't even classify as a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day yet. So I'm sleeping at 2 a.m. in the morning. I am awoken, right, by the worst foot pain that I've ever had in my entire life. Like, it was awful. I thought, like, a rattlesnake bit me in the middle of the night. Like, it was so bad. Like, and, and I was telling Tom before and, and asked my wife, uh, when it comes to legs things, like, I have a very high pain tolerance. Like, I've broken, like, the fluid sacks under my kneecaps and played the rest of the game, right? Like, that is not a thing. So I'm like, okay, I get out of bed, and it is so bad I can't walk. 
Like I contemplate crawling to the bathroom to turn on the light to see what's happened to my, to my, my foot. And so I hobble to the bathroom and I'm probably knocking stuff over and I get there, I get to the bathroom, I turn the light on, I'm standing at the sink and I think to myself, wow, that was really hard to get there. I'm kind of dizzy. I should probably sit, boom, pass out. Right in the right in the middle of the right in the bathroom. In case you've ever wondered what it looks like to hit the bottom of your rib, rib cage on your kitchen or on your, your bathroom sink, this is what this is what it looks like. Show, show the picture. That's exactly what it looks like. Now take the picture down because that's awkward, right? <laughs> so that that's what it looks like, right? So I'm now I, I'm I pass out on the floor. I wake up, I'm peaceful, I'm just kind of leaning against the I'm leaning against the vanity. I have no clue how long I've been there, right? And so I, I kind of get out and I go to give Steph, Steph, you know, help, right? And she gets me copious amounts of ibuprofen. And I go to sleep and, and things are good. I wake up in the morning. It's still really bad. Then I got to deal with the whole thing from the wife saying, you should go to the hospital or you should go to the emergency room. Absolutely not. And you know, I've got I've to be there and I'm still taking ibuprofen and it's swollen. But of course, this day of all days, this day is art show at JoJo and Jack's school, right? So I got to gobble out with my foot that I can barely fit in my shoe at this point and go and walk around two different buildings and act really excited about art, right? It was really exciting, but I probably look very angry, right? And so I'm walking around, I'm hobbling around, we go to bed, everything's fine, everything's great, I'm, I just propped my, my foot up, we're going to get over this, it's great. That night, Pastor Stephanie gets sick, right? Not good. She's sick, right? And then at some point in the middle of the night, she ends up upstairs and can't get downstairs. And so I'm hobbling up the stairs to try to come help Stephanie. And she's like, it's so bad that she can't walk. And so I'm, I, now I have to like carry her, right? With the foot, right, you? Carry her down the stairs, so she can be sick, and then the next morning I've got to hobble up and get the kids ready for school and take them to take them to school. It was a couple of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days that just piled up on one another. Have you been there? Right? It just happens. They're terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And so as we come to our passage this morning, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, take your Bibles out. If not, it's on the screen. I want you to keep that in mind. Terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, because we're going to come to the disciples um, and some past stuff, and we're going to talk about those days. But church, hear the word of the Lord this morning um, from Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, the transfiguration of Jesus. This is this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. And then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Jesus. 
as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the, the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah does come first and restore all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything that they wished, just as it is written about him. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Now, a totally weird passage, right? Like a, a, an unusual um, account that we come to today. A fascinating uh, moment uh, that, that these disciples are led to in this time. Now, I want to say to back up a little bit um, and to go back and, and remember um, how we got to this point. Pastor Stephanie talked about it um, last week uh, and, and this idea or this time, this timeline of Jesus talking about his own death. Remember, Jesus tells the disciples for the first time um, that, they are, that, that he is going to suffer and die, right? We have the passage that, that Jesus is telling the disciples, I am going to suffer and die. And of course, there's great confusion in their hearts and the great confusion in their mind is they don't understand because he's the Messiah. Why would he suffer and die? And then we have Peter, awesome Peter, right? And it says that he pulls Jesus aside because he is crazy. And he pulls Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? This is not how it is. And then we have the account of Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? Pretty big deal. Like, pretty incredible uh, encounter. Not the, the best of encounters. Some might say that this is a, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day in the life of the disciple. Right? They just learned that, 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 that Jesus is the Messiah, but that whole dialogue. And now Jesus the Messiah is going to suffer and die. These are words from the mouth of Jesus himself. And so there's great confusion. What do you mean you're going to suffer and die? Like you're going to, this is not going to, going to happen. You are the Messiah. That's, that's not how it works. Peter goes and he, he, he puts himself in a situation that he probably shouldn't have put himself in. Um, he, he gets called basically Satan, like get behind me, Satan. It's, a, it's not a good moment. And then it goes on. It keeps adding up. Then Jesus tells them that it's not just him, but if they want to follow him, they've got to carry their cross to follow him. So great confusion, right? Great one thing after the other. What? You're the, you're the Messiah, but you're going to die, right? And you're going to suffer. And then the interaction with Peter. And then now it's, going to, it's me? Like, I got to do this too? Like, what is this? What's going on? What's happening? Everything was going so well, right? It begins to, to, to pile up very, very tense moments in interaction with the disciples and with Jesus. Worry, fear, tense, tense interactions. Moments that we as humans really don't like to live in and really don't like, don't like to be a part of. It's this pile up of life, pile up of hopes, pile up of expectations, one after the other after the other. I was watching a, a poetry thing the other night, and the poet said that moments like this are like getting punched in the esophagus by a fistful of life. You ever been there? Terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. 
And so this is what leads us into this, this mountaintop experience, the, 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 this time of, of tension. And, and now we're, we're, we're in this experience. If we go back to the first uh, verse of, that we read this morning, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before him. I want us to look at the, the first thing there. It says, after six days. Think about that for a moment. Six days. You've just spent a couple weeks of Pastor Stephanie telling you week after week that Mark is all about quick, 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 right? Like no messing around. We're going to get to business. Everywhere in the book of Mark, it says immediately, immediately they left for here. Immediately they went to this city. Immediately they went on to that thing. And now we have a pause. It's like somebody pushed the pause button. Six days. Why? Now welcome to my, my brain, right? What happened on these six days? Why do we not have an account of these six days? What's going on in these six days after this great amount of, atten- uh, of tension, this great amount of, uh, of, of things being flipped upside down six days later? I mean, think about it. It took Jesus three days to, to rise again and conquer sin and death. So we need six days in this time. Six days after a great amount of tension, of worrying. Now there's no moving. Six days after great strain in the life of the disciples. I imagine six days of speculating what in the world, what in the world is happening. Six days of tension, of wandering, of whispering, of dreaming. And so my question for you as we start today is, what would you do to cope in those six days? Like, you know you. Your world's been twisted and, and flipped upside down. All that you thought, like the vision that you had of your future, is now not what you thought it was. And you're in this place as a disciple, and you've got six days to sit and think about it. It's very interesting. We're all different people. Some of you would have uh, six days of writing out every possible negative thing that could happen, right? I mean, you'd be there. You don't have to raise your hand, right? right? You'd be at that place. You'd say, this could happen, and this could happen, and this would not be good. Or, or some of you would have uh, six days, and at the end of the six days, you would have no fingernails, right? Or, or, or some of you would be six days of possible solutions on ways that you can get out of this, right? That you'd just be you'd be into it, and then others of us, it'd be six days where we could just sleep. I like the sleep one compared to all the others. Six days. And after six days, Jesus leads these three, Peter, James, and John, up the mountain. Six days of uh, of limbo in a sense, and now they're here. We move on, and, and Mark chapter 9, verse 3 and 4 says, His clothes, Jesus' clothes, became dazzling white, whiter than anyone that could, in the world could bleach them or launder them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now, it's so, it's so funny. Every time I come to a text like this, and every time I read things, right, I'm reading and I'm picking my beard out, obviously. I'm concentrated, 
Every time I come to these things, I think the tendency is for us as humans to kind of explain what is happening here, right? Like his clothes are wider than anyone who could, who could ever bleach them. Like they're beyond what we can, we can comprehend. What's, what's going on in this moment? Jesus is dazzling and, and, he's, and he's white at this moment. But I have to stop and, 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 and ask like, or, 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 and, and reply, seriously? Like, when has the idea of a brilliantly glowing holy figure ever made sense anyway? When has it, when has it made sense? It doesn't. It's divine. It's, it's beyond our understanding, as divine is, is often beyond our understanding. And guess what this morning? That's okay. Right? It's okay to, to not know everything that, that happened and not know the reason that we happened. We just caught a glimpse of the glory of God. In fact, I don't even think that the transfigured Jesus is supposed to be figured out. I think that, that this Jesus in this passage is supposed to be appreciated. Like, this is supposed to be something that we're drawn to, like a moth to a flame. That this is, this is an interaction that God has with Jesus, and now Jesus has the, the residue, the, the effects of that. He is transfigured. He is transformed. Or it's how we get the word metamorphosis, right? He is something is different. Something ha- has happened, and it is just awesome. Just enjoy it. Just, just marvel at what, what God has done. He's transfigured. He's changed in some way. And he is white, like supernatural white, like something more than you can dream of, a white beyond our, our, our comprehension, a white that is so white that Tide can't even make a TV commercial about it, right? They can't touch that one. And he's, he's white there, and he's, he, he's, he's having interactions with Elijah and Moses. With Elijah and Moses that, are, that have appeared on the, this mountaintop. And if you know anything about the, the, the saving action of God, the account of that saving action, you know that Moses and Elijah are heavy hitters, right? In fact, Moses and Elijah, they both have um, pretty incredible mountaintop experiences, right? Moses... Ten Commandments, face glowing, so we have another glowing situation, and, and, and brings the, the law to God's people. And then Elijah is, is one of my favorites, and I always remember it from uh, uh, kids, children's Sunday school stuff, because it's on Mount Carmel, and I like Carmel. Easy, yeah. Thank you, yeah. And so it's on Mount Carmel, right? And he's the prophet, and he, he defeats the, the, the 450 prophets of Baal um, because he calls down fire on the sacrifice, and he even like gets it wet beforehand, so it's even more impressive. But an incredibly impressive thing, he's the prophet. In fact, he's, they said to be the, the, the head prophet, the, the best prophet, the, the, where God has manifests himself through him. So Elijah and Moses are present, and these disciples, I'm sure, as we see, are freaking out because they are heavy hitters of the faith. They are like the heroes that that Mama tells you bedtime stories about. They they are present with Jesus, and they are here on Jesus' mountaintop experience, and his experience is taking their place. It's greater than, than their experience. And this is where the smart kid stuff comes in. 
God, they're on the mountaintop and, and God declares, God the Father declares, as this cloud comes over, uh, we know in Exodus that, that this, is a, this is a symbol of God's presence with God's people. And this cloud comes over and, and God speaks, kind of like when God spoke, when he tore the heavens open at the baptism of Jesus. But God speaks and he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. And Moses and Elijah are doing just that. They're showing that they listen to Christ. Moses, the representation of of the law of God, right? The one that brings the law for God's people. And Elijah, the representation of the the prophet of God, the one that the the mouthpiece of God are, are present here, the law and the prophets. And now these law and the prophets are looking to Jesus. They are, they are in conversation with Jesus. They are listening to, to, to Jesus. And he is the one that they are looking to. The cloud goes and the two messengers disappear in the cloud. They disappear in, in this sign of God's presence. And the word comes, listen to Jesus, the only one left. Listen to Jesus. Now the only one that is present, Jesus becomes the the divinely chosen. Jesus becomes the the center. Not because the law and the prophets are bad. Remember in Matthew, in in Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus comes not to abolish the law of the prophets, but he comes to fulfill the law of the prophets. He comes to to fulfill them. And now we're at this point where Jesus is its central focus. The other two, they, they, they vanish. And Jesus is here. It's almost like the, the in some ways, like the b- passing of the baton, right? The passing of, uh, 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 of the law and the prophets and, and the fulfillment that comes in, in Jesus. One way we can look at it um, as the, the account of God's saving action. Remember, God didn't just create us and leave us, but God's been after us for a long time now. Sending people to, to, to lead his people, sending prophets to speak for his people, sending uh, Moses to, to bring the law to the people, that this is God's saving action, and God is faithful to continue his action in Jesus, the one who is now front and center. And so here's the good news this morning from that part, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's the center of all things. He's the one that fulfills the law and fulfills the prophet. Jesus is Lord. Now, in the middle of all this awesomeness, like we could go down, we could go down paths that will make you pull your beards out, right? But we won't because this is this is this is awesome, right? So I want to I want to look at I want to look at Peter because Peter reminds me a lot of a lot of us, right? We 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 were there, we're present, we're seeing different things and, and sometimes there's some things that just spill out of us um, that are awesome. <laughs> and so we're going to look at that uh, today, but imagine uh, with you with me that you're a disciple, you're one of the three, you've been brought to the top of the mountain after those 6 days of of, uh, of tension. And you're here, 
And Peter's here, and I think Peter says something that we can all relate to. Peter, in Mark chapter 9, verse 5 and 6, he's seeing all this. He's seeing the greatness of it. Jesus is, is wider than any bleach could, could, could bleach him. And in fact, Matthew says that, that, that his face shone like the sun. And he's there, and so Peter blurts this out. Peter said to Jesus in the middle of this, he interrupts. He says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then this is the grace on behalf of Mark. It says he did not know what to say. We're so frightened, right? This is a scriptural grace right there. But here's my translation from Peter. Whoa, right? Like, this is good. Like, so good. Like, we should just stay here. I'll build you a tent if you want, Right? He's, he's gone through the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. He's now seeing something awesome. He's on top of the mountain. He's not in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days anymore. He's at the top of the mountain with Jesus. Jesus is, is shining. His face is shining like the sun. It's incredible. It's awesome. And so Peter just blurts out what we all blurt out when we come to a mountaintop experience. I just want to stay. Right? I just want to stay. Like, my foot's still a little swollen, but I just want to stay here. I don't want any more sicknesses in my house. I don't want any more foot pain in my house. I don't want to lose a rib. Right? I just want to stay. I just want to be here. Things are, things are good. I'm out of the no good, terrible, horrible, bad day. I'm in this place. Peter's at this mountaintop experience, without a doubt. This is a mountaintop moment in his life. And he's there, and he's present with Jesus, and he says what is on his mind, that this is good, we should stay. Something that we might say as well. Now, your mountaintop moments might not be as dramatic as the disciples, but I imagine that you've had a few. Imagine you've had places and spaces where you've come to an intersection where you've been confronted by God's love for you, right? And if not, we know that through God's provenient grace, God is drawing all people to himself, all people to that intersection where we're confronted by God's love and by God's goodness. And so when we get to those places, we get to those intersections, it doesn't mean that everything is better, does it? It means that God is there. God is present. And, and without a doubt, we, we know that God is present. It's a mountaintop moment, so to speak. And we want to be in it. These moments in life where, where we are present and we know that God is present with us. And I think some of us, these moments, these intersections happen differently, right? Um, just like we talked about, well, how would you be in the six days? Some of you would be frantic. Some of you would be chill. Some of you would uh, not be okay, right? But in these, th- these moments, these intersections uh, of life, we, we, we kind of come to them maybe in different ways. Like some of you um, in the room, uh, you will like sing a worship song and, and like before you know it, like you're crying, right? Like you're there. And I'll be honest with you, there are times where I'm jealous of you, right? 
you know without a doubt, like you've, you've come to this place where you, you've experienced and you know that you're experiencing God's love and you're at that intersection and it is a mountaintop moment, so to speak. And then others of, a, of you are just not like that. There's not like this worship element to it. And that's all right. And, and you're different. And you come to a place where you just know, like, yeah, I hear you, God. Like, you're present. Like, I, get, I, I, I hear that. Like, I know that. I, I, I'm, I connect with that. We come to these moments. And these moments are, are great places to be. Right? Like we're, we come to these intersections and, and some of you have done that like in worship services or some of you have done that at camps or some of you have done that uh, at home or, or some of you have done that all the different places. And we come to that place and we just want to we just want to stay there. We just want to be there in that place together. We just want to set up shop just like Peter, like I'll build you a tent like you're the God of the universe and I'll build you a, a shelter. Like, I, I just want to be in this place. But you and I both know that life isn't just spent on the mountaintop, is it? Life is not spent uh, on the mountaintop. And I believe that a, that a trap that we can get into if we're not careful is to, is to always be looking for that mountaintop and never be, be living life. Remember a long time ago, I had a, a, a conversation with a lady, and she told me that she hadn't experienced God since she was twelve at kids camp, and she was she was an elderly lady, right? That that was the last time that that it that it happened at kids camp, and then it, then it, then it never happened again, and, and then she was on this life feeling like 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 she was was doing something wrong or feeling like she wasn't good enough, or feeling like God wasn't present, or, or, or having all of these emotions, all of these things, because she had told herself that that's the only way to connect with God. That that's it. She was stuck in that, in that mountaintop moment, dreaming always of that mountaintop experience that, that she had, and she heard the, the enemy whisper in her ear over and over and over again that, that she wouldn't have it again. Now hear me this morning, you've already heard the good news that Jesus is Lord, the center of all things, and now we know that we're not always going to be on a mountaintop at times, but we must come down, that we're going to live life, that things are bumpy, that you have those terrible, horrible, go, no good, very bad days, but hear this, we do not come down alone. We do not come down off the mountain alone. We're going to venture into the, the valleys of life and we will not be alone. Like, look at it. Jesus doesn't stand on top of the mountain and let Peter and James and John get back down on their own. Rather, Christ's journey back down on the mountain with them. Christ doesn't stay up there and build his shelter Christ comes down with them. In fact, Christ not only comes down with them, he comes down with them to lead them to a valley that leads to death on a cross. He comes down to walk with them in this time where their lives will be turned upside down and his will as well. He heads towards the cross. And guess what? He still does this for us today. 
Like we're going to have mountaintop experiences in life. We're going to have times where we feel on fire and we're like basking in the brightness of the face of Jesus and we don't know how to explain it. And we've come to this intersection where we're confronted by the massive love of God and it is good. But we're also going to have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Ones that we can't laugh about like I did with my foot. Ones that are, that are darker and deeper as we head to these valleys. Jesus is not one who stays on the mountaintop and demands that we come to him and come to the temple that he built there. No, instead, he is a God who tells us to not build the temple, for we are his temple, and he walks and journeys with us. God is good. Well, friends, as we come together during the season of Lent, the season that prepares us to walk towards the cross, let us stop to, to remember a couple different things as we head down this mountain of, of transfiguration. Let's remember, first of all, that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. He is the Son of God. That was confirmed at his baptism when the heavens were torn open. It's confirmed on the, the mountaintop where God the Father speaks out, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. It's confirmed when we get that glimpse of, uh, of his glory as his face shone like the sun. While he is shining, God the Father calls the world to listen to him. Lent, a season of self-reflection that causes us to ask that question, are we listening to him? Or maybe a, a better question, an easier question to get us started is, who am I listening to? Who are we listening to? In a world that is full of messages, in a world where, where, where people and things and company and stuff don't just want your attention, they want your heart, they want your allegiance, they, they, they want your, your, your life, the question comes, who am I listening to? Am I listening to him? Am I cultivating a life that is open, that has space to listen to this Jesus who has the authority over all, who is at the center of all things? Like, am I, am I listening to Jesus when he invites me forward down these paths that lead to restoration and lead to him? Am I listening to those reminders that come oh so often that Jesus is Lord and I am not? Jesus is Lord and I am not. I know I want to do this, but Jesus is Lord and I am not. I've given my life to him. Are we listening? The second thing we're called to remember is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is a God who is with us on the mountaintops of life and in the valleys in those moments of, of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, God is present, for he is good. So our band's going to come this morning to lead us um, in response today. But I want us to, to create space to ask those questions, and maybe you, you can't sing because you're asking questions in your head. 
But that's all right. Am I listening to him? Or who am I listening to? And the second thing, do I know, do I know, do I know, do I know that God is with me? Receive the benediction, the blessing um, as we go from this place today. Well, beloved Christ Church, may you go knowing that Jesus is Lord. Listen to him. May you go knowing that Jesus is with you on the mountaintops of life and even in those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Go in action and go in peace.